You're at Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. It's June 20th, 2016. Brian Charette is my guest, and our topic is Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. This is part three of the three parts to this podcast. And uh, before we jump in, I another comment I want to respond to that I've gotten from some listeners is that uh, some people have been interested in finding, we got over 200 Deep Focus episodes posted and people are having a hard time finding or knowing where they can find some of those past episodes if they remember Stephen Bernstein talking about Don Cherry or Jason Moran talking about Jackie Byard with Alicia Hall Moran talking about Nina Simone or Vijay Iyer talking about Thelonious Monk or any of these other shows that we've done. And there is a way to find them. You can go to my website. My personal website is mitchgoldman.com. And if you click on the About Deep Focus tab, there's actually a Deep Focus drop-down menu. You can go to About Deep Focus, and you'll see a little Google search box. And you put any the information in, if you remember the date or the guest or the topic, whatever you got, put it in there, and it will should direct you to the podcast link, which is pretty neat. So that's very searchable. Go to mitchgoldman.com and look at About Deep Focus. Okay. June of 2016, part three of Brian Charette on Keith Emerson.
<laughs> yep, that over the top that we. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. No, did you really like it? Did you really, really, really like it? <laughs> All right, I was close. I was close. I wow. did remember that. I, I had it in the wrong spot. What what just happened? Oh my lord! And where are we? What is going on? Who that's, are you people? That's, that's pretty wild. <laughs> okay, let me back out and tell you. You are listening to WKCR. You did not stumble into a parallel universe. Uh, we call this show Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman, and Brian Charette is here casting our magic looking glass and listening glass onto Emerson Lake and Palmer. Yeah. And uh, as our musical guide, Brian, mm-hmm. lead us through what 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 just happened. Wow. I'm lost and scared. And I don't know where to begin. <laughs> well, on the second set, I guess you could say, of this live concert, they kind of all do a little solo yeah. piece. So we're getting to hear some music like I have never heard a lot of this music before. Um, it sounds like he's playing some different kind of synthesizer at points, too, that we haven't heard before. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, well, imagine, if you will, mm-hmm. the year is 1978. You're Keith Emerson, and uh, this box arrives at your house in England. Yeah. <laughs> I almost I, think like it's a Waldorf PPG. Remember those purple no. ones? That's was that like, the company, Waldorf? Yes. I think they were FM synthesizers. I'm no, not, I think FM synthesizing didn't come until mid-'80s. Yeah. Okay. So or I don't early, 83, yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure what this is. It doesn't sound like the Moogs, though. Again, I'm, I'm not sure what it well, is. Well, he did. He was playing corks in the late-'70s. This might have been some kind of cork thing. I'm not sure what it was, though. Um, anyway, very unbelievable technique still with with all of these guys you know some of them are a little cheesy these numbers um (laughs) but there's but it's fun you know i think it's uh i think they don't take themselves over overly seriously either less so i'm realizing this part of the experience of reliving this music because uh I I I uh, I was actually one of those kids screaming mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. that crowd. That I was would have me. been screaming too, you know. And uh, um. they're much more uh, offhand and self-deprecating. Yeah. I mean, clearly they take the music really seriously. Yeah. But I don't think they take themselves that seriously. Yes, which is refreshing because a yeah. lot of artists now are very, you know, they're not smiling or joking or. They would never even think of playing some kind of cliche, long kind of cadenza at the end of one of their songs, you know. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing, too. Um, maybe you could talk about something mm-hmm. I think you understand. The uh, sophistication it takes for a performer and for an audience mm-hmm. to experience a musical joke, a musical... Sure. That, that you have to have a baseline uh-huh. level of sure yeah and i think audiences are still hip i think people going to hear music get it you know to a very maybe even more now than ever before because i don't know if going to concerts i mean there's so many other distractions now so if people go to concerts now like they really want to go 
Yeah. You know, um, and they maybe do. They maybe are very educated listeners, especially if they're going to go hear some kind of um, music that they had to pay a lot of money for. Mm. Um, or if it's if it's not pop music or doesn't have some kind of aesthetic value like it's not a good looking girl first or something like mm-hmm. that you know i mean there there's the audience is informed you know and people are smart you know audiences i think a lot of people think that people who consume music or are listening to music don't know very much and i disagree with that i think mm-hmm. people know a lot about mm-hmm. music i think they know a lot about how it makes them feel i think they know a lot about you know, like you could run into anyone on the street and they could teach you something about music that you don't know about, you know. Um, yeah. So I think this is what I, this goes back to what I was saying before, too. I think audiences are really hip. And I think artists, I just know this from my own music. It's, it's a scary thing to try to do something maybe funny in a serious room or... Um, to try something that might be music that's like this, you know, with a very cerebral jazz audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, you know. Well, how about, do you think, uh, are jazz audiences more or less inclined to play along with, or maybe do they expect more or less of that kind of remove and I maybe think humor? it depends. Um, I'll often be playing a jazz concert, and I tend to be a little more wild in this kind of way, I think. Um, And some people are not with me sometimes, (laughs) you know. Um, But the ones who are really appreciate it. A lot of times people will come up to me after a show, and they will say something like, you know, I don't really know a lot about jazz music. They might be tourist, and they're in a place— And they said, you know, I always thought of it this one way, but you made me feel very differently about it. And I think that's because when we do our shows, we try to do them with a wink a little bit, too. We try not to make it so serious and austere. You know, I like to talk to people during the concert. I make jokes. I'm not very serious, you know. And that's what I listen to when I hear these guys here. They're playing this very dense and complicated music. But I think part of the reason why the audience could re- relate to them so much was because they are doing it with a wink and they're engaging them, you know, with the music they play and with what they say. You know? I don't know if I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. I think a lot of that went by many of us. I'm talking about me, I was sitting in that audience at this show uh-huh. and I don't remember getting the joke. Uh huh. And um, now I do. It took me maybe this long to catch up with where those guys well, were. Well, 15 is young, too. I yeah. Mean, that's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I was a kid. I was very uh, sophisticated in some ways. Mm-hmm. and uh, You could maybe cue into the energy with, or the, yes. the spirit with what yeah. they were delivering this high-level proficiency. I think they had to realize that, you know, you had a crowd of 20,000 people sure. together there's going to be a lot of people that a lot of this stuff is blazing past. But they are not condescending about it. Mm-hmm. Now, all these memories are flooding back to me. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Frank Zappa in the same venue. This is at Nassau uh-huh. 
Coliseum, Long Island, mm-hmm. and uh, big overlap. We were talking, I think, more off mic than on mic about some of this stuff. Sounds like it could have been uh-huh. George Duke and Ainsley yeah. Dunbar or whatever yeah. from almost the same period. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember Zappa also, who had a great sense of humor mm-hmm. and very funny in his music, and he was very aware of the fact that there were a lot of people that didn't get the joke, and he was really condescending about it. Mm-hmm. He really was, I'm up here and you're down there. Uh-huh. And uh, I totally saw through it, and it was very what, off-putting. What year was that? Around the same time. You know, he had this thing where he fell off the stage, too. Was that in 75? And people say that Frank, after that, was kind of... You know, like my p- favorite period of Frank Zappa is like 74. Mm-hmm. Um, like around Uncle Me and this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. Um, at a point after there, it started to get a little more sarcastic. Yeah. And and bitter, I think. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was what was happening. Well, I say that in contrast to these guys. Because they're not that way. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're, the Happy. door is open. Yeah. And if you come through, great. And if you don't, great. If you're, you know, mm-hmm. we're having a really good time up here, and I hope, mm-hmm. you know, some of that's coming across. I, I feel like it's— They're definitely, for three people, very powerful. I mean, yeah. the amount of sound that they have is, is incredible. And know. the spirit is— Yeah. Seems earnestly yeah. open-handed. I still love—this is still one of my favorite bands. You know, I rock out to them on the regular. You know, uh, I'm listening to them all the time. I know people for whom— they are a punchline. They're like sure. the, the shorthand, easy way of saying, you know, everything bad about uh-huh. music. And, uh, I'm and not, here we are talking about them. That's right. Three hours of nothing but. And um, it's great. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I think if they were around now to their presentation, you know, I'm sure when these guys would listen back to this stuff years later, they would be like, you know, we didn't need quite so much of that there. Um, well, there was, I'm telling you, it's very hard to get in the context. There's, okay, the same, I, I actually did get into a funny conversation with an old friend about this, and um, mm-hmm. I ended up sort of playing devil's advocate, Uh um, but also representing my point of view about this music. And Mm -hmm. I kind of let him say that, you know, what he would say about, like, everything bad about the long endings and the Mm -hmm. musical extrapolations and all Mm -hmm. that. And, um, but all the bands that he loved then, and probably still listens to the same stuff, were playing small clubs, CBGBs or wherever. Mm -hmm. And... I say this to say that in the context, and again, we're just listening to this with no context. We're mm-hmm. listening to a recording in the context of being in this huge arena. Sure. It worked. It, you had to do that. You had to have this. And if they were really cerebral and not so funny and not so extravagant, they would have maybe not been playing in stadiums. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a, right, there's a handful of guys, and I say guys, because they were guys mm-hmm. <laughs> who are, you know, dedicated Carl Palmer. They're waiting the whole night. Okay, enough mm-hmm. of the keyboards. Where's our drum solo? Uh-huh. And there were people who were, like, totally focused on mm-hmm. what uh, Keith Emerson's doing on keyboards. And there were Greg Lake fans. And there were people who are, you know, 
mm-hmm. immersed in this. There are musicians, serious musicians who aspire to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the, kind of like the experience you had mm-hmm. with Keith Emerson. And there's a whole lot of people who are there to bob their heads and uh, see, experience a spectacle. You know what it is too, Mitch, is like when you're watching these guys, you're watching them really do something. Like, what is this? They had a hit last year. They dress in like a computer kind of. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I actually like that song very much, but you're not really watching them performing on an instrument. No. And I feel like that's been Daft lost. Daft Punk, you're talking Daft about. Daft Punk, yes. Right. And I, I really like that single very much. And supposedly, when at the Grammys, they got up on stage to perform the song, mm-hmm. and the actual two guys mm-hmm. who would be in the costumes mm-hmm. We're still in the audience watching. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was some other. So there you go. It's, yeah. it's a very different kind of music artist than what these guys yes. are. Yes. I mean, even though it's rock music, these guys, I mean, you could say Keith Emerson is like a Franz Liszt or something like that. He's much more close to that than a Daft Punk yeah. kind of character. Now, know? when you reference Franz Liszt, maybe mm-hmm. give us a little context for that what was because uh, he was he was a rock star right he was kind of a rock star um and it was either him or chopin i can't remember exactly but one of them you know pianists back in those days would play with their backs to the audience i think it was franz list turned it to the side so the girls could see his profile you know and his music is very uh difficult um and virtuosic um, I'm sure Keith Emerson was into him. Uh, but, yeah, like that is kind of when I see Keith Emerson, you know, he reminds me of a, of a person like that, mm. with all of this tech, technical prowess. But he's, you know, got all of these new toys, yeah. you know, uh, at his disposal, the Moog and all of these synthesizers. Um, but he is a keyboard artist, first and foremost. And that's not really true about, you know, groups today. It's not like, oh, there's the keyboardist for La La La, and he's going to play this really complicated, interesting keyboard passage. This is kind of left music, um, at least popular music or mainstream music. This was, for most part, mainstream music, you know, not that long ago. Yeah. So, you know. Specifically in the aspect of Keyboard innovation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Keith Emerson takes this new uh, wood-paneled mm-hmm. keyboard out of the box. And the Moog. Whichever one it might have mm-hmm. been, right? Mm-hmm. The Moog, let's say. Mm-hmm. And rubs his hands together and goes, let's see what this baby will do. Mm-hmm. Um, what is – how much of what he's doing is that is the way that instrument needs to be played? How much of it is – Keith Emerson coming up with something that maybe Bob Moog or whoever had never envisioned? How much and how influential? He must have. Um, As far as I know, Bob Moog does not play a keyboard instrument. Um, You know, his big thing was this, this, they called it the ladder filter on his synthesizers. Um, Nobody was, these were the first guys to play these things to that level. Um, and, you know, the modular synthesizer, you look, a modular Moog basically was this huge 
It had this huge control panel with all of these patch cords that you would plug into different places. And I remember uh, I was writing a little bit about a modular synthesizer. It used to cost as much as a car. As a matter of fact, in the early Moog advertisements, they had a picture of a modular and then they had a car there. And it was basically like, would you rather do this or drive a car? You know, and <laughs> so this was a very expensive piece of equipment. Not a lot was known about it. It would break down live very much. It was very unwieldy. And you had to know a lot about electronics to even operate it or to patch these different filters, which became hardwired on the mini Moog, all the wires around the inside. Um, but with this earlier modular stuff, like you had to have a great deal of technical proficiency to even operate it, you know, let alone make it sound like all of these wild kind of sounds. So these guys, Herbie, Joe Zawinall, um, Keith Emerson, Rick Wakeman, they wrote the book on how these things, like people who are playing the instruments now are, are completely taking their cue from these, I would say, four guys. And there's more people, but those are the big ones, I would say. Those are the big ones for me. And so the, the, they came up, the, the idea that emerged from this in listeners' ears and in other musicians' ears as a result was, this is how these instruments sound. Mm -hmm. And, and the people just got right. swept and, up in that. You know, there's these effects, too, with the sample and hold we were talking a little bit about, when it would go, dit, 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 and you could control the speed and with the LFO. Um, which is a kind of vibrato sound, low-frequency oscillator, it means. Um, these guys were really getting everything out of these instruments. Like, they were surely sitting in a room with them, and I'm sure that they were very inspired because it was the first time anyone had something like this, and they would just be playing with the thing or plugging in the modular cables, and something would happen. <laughs> and I'm sure that that would be the... the um, inspiration for a piece of music especially when they would put on these like sample and hold or they it would make these random sequence of notes sometimes which could become a cool synthesizer part for a song you know um so yeah i think they really wrote the book on how these instruments sound how they should be played the manipulation of the filters and the lfos and all of these effects yeah for sure Brian Charette is our guest tonight on Deep Focus. Our focus is on the music of Keith Emerson and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Brian is playing Club Bonafide Friday night with mm -hmm. the Positone All-Stars. Yes. That's on East 52nd Street mm -hmm. here in Manhattan. Maybe I'll break out my modular. Mo Ooh. No, I don't have a modular. <laughs> well, maybe there's a listener who's got one <laughs> gathering dust in the garage. Can't think what to do with it. <laughs> Put it in the back of that AMC Gremlin and bring it down. It's going to be hard to fit it on the stage. <laughs> you know, there was a, there was a lab of uh, early synthesizer, patch-based synthesizer here on campus uh -huh. at Columbia. I wonder if it's still there. It's an mm -hmm. interesting question. It was uh, one of the most uh, elaborate ones for its wow. time, mm -hmm. and it was still here. Many years later, I don't know what details about it. Mm -hmm. um, Brian's latest album just came out the last couple of weeks called Once and Future. Mm -hmm. And it pays tribute and honors so many fantastic organ greats. Brian is an organ great. And uh, here he is playing favorite tunes of Jack McDuff and 
Freddie Roach. Obscure. Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Great stuff. That's on the Positone label. And um, we got this really cool recording from Nassau Coliseum, February 1978, of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Should we go back to the stage? What do we got coming up? Sure. What do you think? Um, Let me see. What do we have? Pirates, right? Pirates. All right. What else? Anything? We Did we leave anything out? <laughs> Emerson, Lake, and Palmer in deep focus on WKCR.
shouting cry to the devil, drink a toast. We'll glut the hold with cups of gold and we'll feed the sea with ghosts. I see your hunger for a fortune. The treasure fleet, Mizzen, look how cried. Closer to the wind, my boys, my captain Lord. For every man that's alive tonight, we'll be hauling gold aboard. Spare us the galleon big, but mercy's face it fled. Blood ran from the screaming souls, the cutlass harvest Any man 
Thank you, good night. Sounds so good with a British accent, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the way I do it. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a whole new routine for you. <laughs> like it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that is Emerson Lake and Palmer live at Nassau Coliseum, February 9th, 1978. I was there. Uh, I'm Mitch Goldman. The show's called Deep Focus, and my guest tonight has been the fantastic brian charette brian you are listen to that there's we're still going crazy i was gonna say they're going crazy we're going crazy at uh nassau coliseum that's what's gonna sound like friday night at club bonafide on yes. east 52nd street yes. club bonafide.com and uh that's what it sounds like in my house every time I listened to Once and Future, your new album on the Positone label. This has been a real, really very special show oh, for I'd me. Oh, I'd love to come on your show. We, you always find some new stuff that I didn't know about, and this time it was actually a show I was at, and I still feel like 
I'm hearing it for the first time. Oh. It is an ear-opening experience to be around you, Brian. Oh, thank you. And I uh, Likewise. encourage all the listeners to make their way to hear Brian either Friday or whenever you get a chance. And he's, he's one of the people lighting up the scene. So come on through. What else? What else? What do we not mention about Emerson, Lake, and Palmer? I think we've pretty much <laughs> waxed them. Been to that <laughs> but place. Good. All right. Well, we're going to leave you with uh, just a last little taste of a very special song of theirs before handing things over to the Monkey Cage, which is coming your way next. What's this uh, last song that they played for this encore? Fanfare for the Common Man, right? Fanfare for the Common Man. You and me. That's us, baby. Uh, Mitch Goldman and Brian Charette on WKCR-FM New York and WKCR-HD1 and uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer.
Thank you very much. You've been a very nice audience. Thank you.